Hello, 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 and warm welcome to the podcast of tech.eu. You are listening to episode number 176. It's supposed to come out every Monday, but life happened and I'm terribly late with this edition. So please, please forgive me if this has in any way inconvenienced you or any member of your family. I am your humble host, Robin Wouters. I'm the founder of tech.eu. I'm filling in for the time being, actually, for uh, Andrew Daigler from our team, who will be back in the podcast saddle come August. Uh, now, today I will only briefly discuss a couple of major stories that hit the newswires in the past 10 days or so, though I'm actually looking forward to tackling a certain topic in a bit more depth for the next episode, so I'll be on the lookout for something to dive into. If you have any suggestions, uh, please um, contact us on Twitter or by email. But as you may know, every Friday afternoon we publish the 10 biggest European tech news items of the week. And today I'd like to highlight some of these stories in this episode. Uh, later on, you can and you probably should also listen to my interview with Raph Courant, who is a partner and head of business development for C4 Ventures, uh, which is a relatively young venture fund founded by Pascal Cagny, who was a VP and general manager for Apple EMEA uh, from 2000 to 2012. But first, let's talk about some of the biggest and most notable news items in the European tech space from the past 10 days or so. First of all, I'd like to talk about an interesting report that was released by the UK markets regulator last week. Uh, in it, the UK Competition and Markets Authority, or CMA, said that the payments that Google makes to Apple to be the default search engine on Apple's Safari web browser create, quote, a significant barrier to entry and expansion, unquote, for Google's rivals in the search engine markets, which include uh, Microsoft's Bing, of course, Yahoo, and nimbler players like DuckDuckGo. In the report, the CMA said enforcement authorities should be given a range of options to address the Apple-Google arrangements, including requiring, quote-unquote, choice screens in which users decide which search engine to set as a default during device setup or restricting Apple's ability to monetize the default positions. No word from Google or Apple about this, at least not yet, but definitely an interesting report to read. Germany-based Solaris Bank has raised 60 million euros in a Series C funding round to boost its banking-as-a-service aspirations. The round was led by HV Allspring Ventures and founding investors Iabeo. Other new investors include Vulcan Capital, Samsung Catalyst Fund, and Storm Ventures. Solaris Bank was founded in 2016 and offers, quote, API-accessible financial tech products, unquote, for contextual banking. The company says its revenues have doubled each year since 2017, and its team now stands at 310 employees. The startup recently unveiled what they call decoupled debit cards and a post-purchase installment product called SplitPay, with a little help from American Express. The firm boasted more than 400,000 end customer accounts by the end of the first half of 2020. Staying in the fintech space, UK-based TransferWise has obtained a license from the country's markets watchdog to offer retail investment services to clients. The loan-based firm started life as a means of sending money internationally online. In 2018, it made a deeper push into banking by offering a so-called borderless multi-currency account tied to a debit card. And now TransferWise plans to launch a service that lets users of the account invest passively in investment funds from third-party providers. The company said last week that it had received permission from the UK's Financial Conduct Authority to deal in investments, so that's something to definitely look out for in the future. An interesting acquisition that didn't get a lot of attention uh, was consumer tech company Garmin uh, buying a small Finnish uh, company called First Beat Analytics. Uh, the startup provides uh, physiological analytics and metrics for consumer devices in the health, wellness, fitness and performance markets. The amount of the deal was not disclosed, unfortunately. 
And then I wanted to highlight another startup funding round, if only for the interesting sector that it operates in. Uh, London-based startup Farewell uh, this week announced that it has secured £20 million in funding to expand throughout the UK, with the aim of modernizing the country's death care industry with technology and design. The startup has built a platform that helps people write their wills, uh, guiding them through a series of questions without legal jargon, or not too much at least. When the time comes, family members can use Farewell for the probate process or even use the company's new cremation services after getting an instant quote on the website. Founded in 2015, the legal tech company claims to already be the largest will writer in the UK, responsible for some 10% of all wills. The round, which takes the startup's total to £30 million, was led by Highland Europe and joined by keen venture partners, Rich Pearson of Headspace, Broadhaven Capital Partners and Venture Founders. And then there were no less than five venture capital firms announcing new funds in just over a week. I'll briefly go over them as I think this is quite an interesting development given the unusual times that we are living in. First of all, investment firm GP Bullhound announced its fifth fund, uh, which is 125 million euros for growth stage European software companies. Founded back in 1999, now operating across three continents, GP Bullhound's current investments include Klarna, Revolut, Unity, HackerOne and Glovo. Secondly, London-based VC Nauta Capital announced its fifth fund as well with a first close at 120 million euros. Operating from its three hubs in London, Barcelona and Munich, the firm plans to invest in companies mainly based in the UK, Spain and Germany, though it said it's also open to other continental European countries as well. The main rule is that the B2B software startup it invests in uh, is, and I quote, capital efficient. Over in Berlin, early-stage VC Cavalry Ventures closed its second fund of 80 million euros, more than three and a half times the size of its maiden fund. Geared somewhat like a large angel syndicate, Cavalry's LPs tend to be active founders and other LPs in early-stage funds in the DAC region. And the fund is best known for its focus on key SaaS and B2B infrastructure startups, such as those in HR tech, sales, PR, fundraising, legal, and internationalization. We also heard from Spain-based K-Fund, which officially presented its second fund with a size of 70 million euros, which is up from 50 million, million euros from the first fund. Targeting Spanish startups with an international outlook, the seed stage firm plans to invest from 100,000 euros to 2 million euros, writing first checks in 25 to 30 companies. Interestingly, K-Fund also launched a pre-seed funding program called K-Founders. It says it will seek out companies that are less than six months old and invest up to 100,000 euros pre-seed. The program will initially be quite modest in size, targeting between 20 and 20 startups. And then there was Exileo Capital, which is a venture arm of the French startup accelerator Exileo, uh, which announced its second fund uh, aiming to invest 50 million euros specifically in seed stage prop tech startups across Europe. And finally, a very small but important fund called Iceland Venture Studio, which is basically the first fund devoted to the Icelandic tech startup community, has raised uh, $2 million, adding to its initial $1 million fundraise from last year. And to stay in the wonderful world of venture capital in Europe, I would like to invite you now to listen to my interview with Raf Courant, who is a partner and head of business development for C4 Ventures. So hey, this is Robin Waters from Tech.eu, and I'm joined here today by a good friend of mine, uh, Raf Courant, very well known in the European tech community, but I'm still going to ask you to do a little bit of a, an introduction. Uh, what's your background, Raf? Thank you, Robin. Very happy to be here with you today. Um, indeed, we've met each other many, many times on the on the circuit, I would call it. My background, I started my career in the telco industry, so looking after telecoms, and then being um, a fascinated 
by technology, I very quickly went on to working for technology companies. And one of them that, of course, uh, people know is Apple. So I spent more than 10 years at Apple. And from there, I learned a lot around what it takes to create a beautiful product that sells, but also push the boundaries of perfection to the details. And so that's one of the things that we might be coming back later on in this conversation. Then I left in 2013 and then from there on jumped to get my hands dirty again because I wanted to really understand the ecosystem and particularly the entrepreneurship ecosystem. And so I fundraised and created the Startup Bootcamp IoT program in London. Over the course of the next four years, basically invested in about 30 early stage companies having gone through a selection of about a thousand plus a year. So it's been an incredible journey to get to today where we are now in London based and in Paris as well for C4 Ventures that we'll get into more details in a second. Yes, this is what we're going to talk about indeed. But uh, interestingly, the investment firm that you uh, just joined also has a connection to Apple. So maybe we start with that. C4 Ventures indeed has a connection to Apple. Pascal Cagny, who created that in 2014, was head of Apple MEA for you know about 12 years, between 2000 and 2012. And so that's where we met as well. And then we worked together even before that, but we worked together at Apple. And you know the DNA of C4 Ventures is very much close to Apple. We'll talk about the segments we're investing in. Some of the segments that you'll see that we look at are indeed very close to what we did at Apple. You know, smart hardware, for example, is one of them. So you can imagine very close to some of the devices that Apple released back in the days. Great. Well, I can definitely see the link and we'll talk more about your investment thesis and all that in, in a second. Uh, but maybe just to highlight the fact that you worked at a, a really big tech company, uh, the biggest, uh, I would say, or one of the biggest at least, and then joined Startup Bootcamp. So you worked with a ton of startups. You've seen a lot of early stage stuff. What compelled you to go over to the professional investment side, I would say, like the VC side? I've always been fascinated by the creativity and the passion of entrepreneurs. And this is one of the things that we still believe very strongly at C4 Ventures. One of our thesis is that we believe entrepreneurs choose us and not the other way around. And the reason for that is, you know, the really good entrepreneurs, the excellent entrepreneurs have a, have a way of looking at the market, which is a bit different than just natural growth. They want to be partnering with people that believe in the vision, but also partnering with people that can bring real value to the table. And that's something that I learned along the way with Startup Bootcamp, being very close to entrepreneurs from the very ground up, because those were very early stage companies, whereas at C4 Ventures, we actually look at you know A-plus series level, so growth companies in a way. I believe still today, and as I said, learned a lot along the way that the great entrepreneurs want to partner with people that bring what we call smart money. Not only capital to help them grow, but also an extreme level of understanding of their vision as well as excellence in knowledge around their specific markets. Indeed, at C4 Ventures, not only we have an amazing team, you know, which is composed by people both in France and in the UK, experts in entrepreneurship, in operations, in, of course, investment, but we also surround ourselves with a team of operating partners, about 18 of them that are top-level executives from various different backgrounds, from industrial to functional experts that can really help the teams from you know, defining the due diligence on selecting an amazing company down to being hands-on in some of the companies, not only at the bold level, but also helping them on their daily growth. And, and I can take an example on that, which is an interesting one. Maybe I'm getting into too much details, but it will give you a flavor of what those operating partners do. We have a company in the portfolio called Clippings that was looking at improving their supply chain. And one of our opening partners 
is an ex-senior VP at Kunda Nagel talking about supply chain. There couldn't be a better company to understand that. We dispatched him basically for a couple of weeks and he helped refine the entire supply chain. And since then, of course, it's been an excellent progress from the company standpoint. Those are you know, very high level support that we can give to companies, which is priceless because finding that level of support in general is very hard to get access to. Great. Um, can you briefly mention a few of your portfolio companies? Because I obviously don't know them by heart, so just uh, name a few. So yes, we, we've invested in about 31 companies so far. You know, a few names pop into mind, of course. We're lucky to have five unicorns in our first portfolio, so I'm sure we'll come back to that in a minute. But uh, names like Nest, Formlabs, Via, and Graphcore are, of course, names that people might be familiar with. Now, it, since 2019, we started investing for Fund2, and we're bringing companies as assets inside the, the second fund. And you know, some names that I want to be mentioning, examples that you were highlighting, right? So Zoov, which is a forward-looking e-bike sharing platform, you know, part of a movement that will transform the human mobility, something that is extremely good to see in those, you know, COVID times, for example. Another one, a UK company called Truva, who's a marketplace, e-marketplace that can add value to brick and mortar stores, giving shoppers, you know, a virtual window. Uh, it's a complete new way of doing e-commerce and, you know, they protect local businesses. So it's, again, in this particular hard time of, of, you know, lockdown, a very good company to have. Or another one that has been extremely successful during the COVID time is Mixtiles, you know, usually successful company that is have the goal to own your wall. They're basically creating those tiles that you can stick in the wall and back and forth. Extremely well-funded company. Those guys are extremely smart. And the goal for them is really, as I said, to own your wall and your home, basically, your home, your offices. So it's it's how to improve immediately your environment. Some examples, Zoof, Truva, Mixel. Yeah, definitely some names I recognize uh, in there. Um, now, you mentioned the second fund, which is sort of what we uh, are going to talk about today as well, is the fact that you have, by the time we're recording this podcast, the news hasn't been announced yet, but by the time it comes out, uh, we'll, you'll have announced that you have actually closed uh, the second fund. Um, so maybe just walk us through what the first fund looked like and what the process was of getting to the second fund, because of course, it's uh, very unusual times to be closing a fund right now. So um, all yours. Yes, thank you. Indeed, we, we're very lucky to have been able to close that and to be trusted by amazing rota of, of LPs, you know, mix of great uh, family offices and others. Now, we have since 2014 invested in about 31 companies, as I said. And what stands out probably is that we have, you know, five unicorns in the portfolio. I mentioned that briefly earlier. Uh, but if you look at a company like Graphcore out of the UK, what, what strikes me is the, the combination of an incredible funding team, people that really are extremely knowledgeable in, in everything, you know, silicon, but also a product that is looking forward in the future. We're talking about AI here. So it's an extremely compelling solution. Our first fund basically did very, very well. You know, we, we're talking about at 31st of December, almost a 3x asset value, net assets value at close of our invested capital, which is something that... It's pretty rare in, in our day. So not only a 3X, but a 5 unicorns. This is a pretty satisfying first fund performance. Talking about C4 Venture, one of the things that is important to know is that we, we're both London and Paris-based. We're one of the few funds that have gone through FCA certification for Fund 1 because we were based in London originally. Then we moved the fund to Paris, where we believe there's a tremendous amount of opportunity. And so we've now gone through AMF regulation as well. So this is a very high level of governance that we have in our existing fund. So that's one important element to have. Now, 
what we believe is whilst we are like a sub $100 million fund, we are aiming to be a boutique fund in a way that we love and we strongly believe that those small size funds are the ones that get the better return and bring higher performance. And so we've invested, as I said, in more than 30 companies with you know 31 leads and about 46 follow-on, which only in 2019 were four leads and six follow-ons. As I said, we're bringing some of them as assets inside the fund too. And so our performance is really top decile with a chance to be at, at a 5x in the end, given the five new unicorns we have. Well, what was the size of the first fund? Our first fund was about 30 million. 30 million, okay. So let's talk about the second fund, which you uh, just announced, just closed. So congratulations. Not uh, an easy thing to do, I guess, in those times. Thank you. It's been, it's been an incredible run. Not only once we had our MF regulation uh, approved and our marketing passport on the 24th of March, we went through a seven-week blitz to get to the final run and get our fund closed. And as I said, oversubscribed. So it's been incredible to see the confidence, the, the trust, sorry, of our LPs so far. And you know, that's, that second fund reflects for us our belief that COVID-19 uh, is a crisis that will accelerate the tech innovation. It shows which company will survive and which will thrive. You know, as we say in English, it will separate the wheat from the chaff. And I, I love the fact that we get to have access to incredible companies that have shown their, their, their resilience, but also paved the way forward for what we're looking at in the future. What we believe in is three different things. We believe that we want to invest, and that's the, those are the reasons why we believe we're going to be outperforming there again. We want to invest in unique and defensible technology. We also have people like DriveNets that do virtualization, for example, incredible company. We invest in market leaders in the making. You know, we believe that people are absolutely critical. And we look at companies with a unique combination of great developers, but also people you know, that know that how to scale businesses and take that leadership positions. And we talked about Nest yesterday, which is one of our core exits initially, but also Truva today, you know, with the marketplace that we talked about. And we also more and more focus today on frontier tech, you know, things like AI, things like quantum computing. We invested in PSI quantum, for example, and, and GraphCore again, which is AI chips, things that have, you know, been very at the core of the silicon. So those are the three main things that we look at for the future. Yep. So um, you mentioned uh, we're in a crisis. Uh, you mentioned very correctly that some companies thrive uh, because or despite of it. Some companies hurt. It's just a matter of uh, which stage you were in, which sector you were in. So, so it's very, very uh, easy, I think, to pinpoint what is happening now, like health tech, education technology, um, even entertainment, uh, things like that uh, are really thriving because of the crisis. But my question yeah. more is, a, because you, as an investor, you have to look sort of beyond like this crisis and how we come out of it, but also like what is really going to be the way that the world looks like for tech companies and beyond, you know, years after this or maybe when the next pandemic hits. So, so when you take a more futuristic look at what's going to happen in the next five years, what would be your view on that? Well, there's, there's a clear change in consumer behavior. You know, this crisis has accelerated the adoption of digital use, I would say. You know, we see the amount of time that we spend in front of our screen, you know, 30% of increase in general, 75% in France, for example, 75% of people are thinking about continuing using those, you know, digital tools they've been using. And, and they're all considering that, you know, working from home is not that bad anymore, right, for the people that can afford to do that. Uh, so there's a degree of shift in the consumer behavior, you know, and loyalty. They're looking at a different relationship with their existing shopping habits, they're using home as their base versus the office. A different change of demographic as well. 
So there's a lot of things that are happening, right? And, and of course, we strongly believe at C4 Ventures in the next generation. As a matter of fact, our team, in addition to our very expert sort of uh, seniors, I would say, we always surround ourselves with extremely knowledgeable and top-notch millennials. So we hire people from, I should say, from Imperial, from, you know, all the top-notch universities and, and engineer uh, schools so that, you know, they can bring that new fresh view and understanding of the market that we might not have, right? Uh, you know, the boomers, for example, are great, but when it comes to millennials, they obviously have a very different view on the digital world. Cybersecurity is becoming absolutely mainstream and important. And, you know, Riskified is one of the companies we invested in. But I think when you witness that explosion of, of digital use, some key topics or industries will suffer. We know that, you know, travel, retail, tourism, hospitality, obviously, we all think about that, right? But others will thrive, right? And, you know, we talk about gaming, we talk about entertainment, we talk about edtech, cybersecurity, remote working. And we've been betting a lot on those things. We think that B2C is going to grow tremendously. And we also believe that the big question will be, you know, are those changes will be temporary or structural and stay for long? Our, our bet is clearly, as I said, that we look into companies that have got the three differentiators. If you invest in unique and defensible technology, if you invest in market leaders, and people that actually know how to differentiate between, you know, what used to be and what will be, then you get to have, I don't like to talk about winners, but definitely, you know, future leaders yeah. in a way. Um, so that's, uh, of course, pressure that we have on the entrepreneurial side. Uh, this is also something that's happening on the VC side, I would say. This crisis is also affecting affecting their work, of course. Um, you managed to, to close or at least have a first close of a fund uh, during COVID, uh, which is quite admirable. But there's also been a lot of uh, small um, seed investment firms, small VCs that have been popping up all over Europe during the good times that might have trouble raising their next fund now or at least get you know pressure from from their LPs uh, for the next uh, next round that they have to uh, close. So w- what do you think is going to be the effect of this crisis on the VC landscape in Europe? Yeah, I, you know it's very hard to predict. I mean, clearly I don't have I don't have a, a crystal ball or anything. But having talked to a large number of our colleagues and and friends in the VC landscape, things have been slowing down a bit, but not drastically. There's still been a lot of conversation around the markets for close future, and you know the themes that I mentioned to you around you know market leaders and defendable technologies and adaptation of the new generation. Of millennials into the digital world are driving those new conversations. And so I'm pretty confident that, you know, we're not just going to stop, right? There's still going to be a lot of activity. It might take a bit of time because the way we worked has changed. But one thing I can tell you is, is our way, we managed to raise the fund in the middle of a crisis that imposed on all of us to stay home. And initially, people were wondering whether it will very much impact our ability to close the deals with some of those conversations that we had, because of course, traditionally, you'd get to meet people and it's a face-to-face kind of world. As a matter of fact, it improved our productivity tremendously. We've been really hard at work with the team, and we've seen that across the spectrum with other you know, VC firms that I've been talking to. Because we're stuck behind screens, we managed to do probably more than we could have done if it was to be traveling from one place to the other. So at the end of the day, I, I believe it's a change. It's a radical shift in our industry in a way we might do business for now and probably for, I don't know, again, I don't have a crystal ball, but for the foreseeable future. But I also believe in our strong ability to be resilient and change our habits when we need to. And uh, and as, as far as I know, with the people we're partnering with, I'm not worried about the future. There's going to be plenty more opportunities coming down. 
Yeah, I can see that too. And we also noticed a slowdown, of course, but at the same time, um, I think uh, we still get a lot of news every day, um, which showcases that you know entrepreneurs are not really uh, stopping being entrepreneurs, and VCs will not stop being VCs. Which Correct. Is, you know, more more like macro trends. You know, um, but yeah, maybe just uh, on a, on that note, uh, how has it affected you personally? You know, working from home, not being at tech events all the time alongside me <laughs> and some yeah. other people. Like, has, has it been a big uh, change for you? Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm missing the travel. It's been a big change, mainly because, you know, being home also means being with your kids and your family all the time. I, I love it. Being with my family is always the best. But it also is a, it is a shift in the way you anticipate, you know, your, your, your agenda during the day. You need to plan things a little bit better. You need to be logistically very well organized. As far as, you know, traveling and seeing and the conference tour, I think this model has been you know, there for a long time. It was meant to evolve. I think this has just been an acceleration of it all. We've seen popping on the map, and I'm sure you've been participating in many, tremendous amount of new online virtual conferences model. I don't think we're there yet. I think there's still a margin of improvement that can be done, but the content is king always, right? And whether you distribute it through a podcast, through online seminars or webinars, at the end of the day, if the content is interesting, people will participate. You know, I was yesterday attending a very quick webinar organized by uh, our friends at the Founders Forum. And they were interviewing one of the founder of Even Bright, Kevin, was extremely interesting conversation, right? We had 175 people in the call. So those things could be considered as mini conferences. And yes, it's not the same as, you know, shaking hands and being in, in person with the people uh, and, the, and the tremendous amount of relationship that you and I have built over the years on the circuit are going to be harder to build over, you know, a microphone. But I believe, you know, model changes as well. And it will be probably an hybrid model moving forward, right? There might be smaller conferences. There might be more online content. And, and whether we come back to bigger conferences towards the end, probably, but it's going to take a bit of time. Yeah, definitely entering a new normal on that uh, front as well. But I fully agree. I think a hybrid model is probably going to be in the future. And I've seen some impressive technology. I've seen some impressive content. You know, DLD Sync, I think, is doing a really good job. Podium that I just participated in did yeah. a really good job at transitioning to online. So, so it's been really, really sort of interesting to watch and fascinating uh, from a tech perspective. But I, I certainly do miss the travel and I hope to uh, see you and uh, a lot of other friends uh, in person again yes, uh, quite soon. For sure. Uh, but thank you so much uh, for taking the time to talk more about C4 Ventures. Uh, congrats on doing the close during the COVID times. That's uh, really impressive. Um, the news will be out by then, so we'll link it in the show notes. And all that uh, is left is for me to wish you uh, a very good uh, rest of the lockdown. And uh, hopefully we'll come out better at the other side of this. Thank you, Robin. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks again. 